This morning, we are actually going to be walking through two chapters of Joshua. As we left last week, or where we left off last week, we left off that the two spies from the Israelites made it to Jericho, and they were hidden by Rahab, the prostitute, on her roof, and then they slid off into the wilderness in order to report back to the Israelites what they saw there, and we witnessed God using the most unlikely of people to save his people in Rahab. And today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the Israelites actually crossing over the Jordan. Now that does not seem like a big deal. Like they're just crossing a river, right? But it was a big deal. This was a land that was promised to the people of Israel. It was a land that was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. It was a land that was promised to Moses, even though Moses would not get to see it. The Lord promised to Moses that his people would see it. And now it's a land promised to Joshua as well. And so this is a very significant moment in the history of Israel. This is their immigration, if you will, to this land that was given to them by the Lord. Furthermore, this is a significant moment in the history of Israel because they knew that they were getting ready to face many challenges. They were going to face many armies, many countries that were native to that land, and they were going to have to overtake those armies, those nations, who quite literally believed that Israel was stealing their land. But it just so happens that none of this land is ours. It all belongs to the Lord. And so what the Lord gives, when the Lord gives, we will receive it. And we will receive it with glad hearts. This morning's message is entitled, The Ever-Presence of God. The Ever-Presence of God. And so as we begin, I'd like for us to start in, actually in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 13. So just as a reminder, uh, the... The Israelites, uh, Joseph makes his way to Egypt. He's sold into slavery by his brothers, by his many brothers. And Joseph finally makes his way into Egypt. And the Pharaoh in Egypt uh, sees fit that Joseph uh, basically is in charge of all of the country. He's basically second in command, if you will, of all of Egypt right under the Pharaoh. And Joseph is able to save not only the people of Egypt, but also his whole family during a famine. And so Joseph, there is, re, there is rejoicing and there is great celebration with the life, life of Joseph. But eventually Joseph dies, a new Pharaoh becomes in charge, and that Pharaoh had forgotten what Joseph had done. And so for 400 years, the people of Israel were under the thumb of the king of Egypt in slavery. But then Moses is raised up as the leader of Israel, 
And Moses is called to lead his people out of Egypt in what we call the Exodus. And so we arrive at this moment where Moses has led his people by the power of God from the clutches of the king, but the king is still tracking him down, tracking the people down. And these are millions of individuals that we're talking about here. And so they need guidance. And, it fi- and we, we find out that the Lord is, in fact, their guide. And in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 through 22, it says here, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, if we read through Scripture, what we find is that often that clouds, and especially in this case, that clouds and fire represent the presence of God. And so if you remember the burning bush in Exodus, that that was the presence of God in that bush and that God was revealing himself for the first time to Moses and actually gives us his proper name, I am, in that moment. And so that's the very presence of God. And so what we see is that this, this cloud, now you, you might say, well, you know, this cloud is you know, blocking the view of the Egyptians so these, these Israelites can flee uh, under, under cloak, if you will. Uh, and that at night they're able to flee as well, and so they're able to gain ground on the Egyptians at night because there's this pillar of fire. And, and, you, and you very well are right, and I would agree with that. However, the more important concept is that God's presence was with them the entire time. He was guiding them, He was leading them, and He was pre- protecting him. And what I want us to recognize this morning is that God's presence is still ever-present with us. He has promised to never leave and never forsake us, and that's exactly what He has done with Joshua. There are times in our life when I believe two things. Number one, we feel as if God is not listening, not present, and nor does He care. Usually those are moments in life, seasons of life, where we have gone through trials in our life, and it seems like it's just one after another. You had those moments, those seasons in life, where it just thinks it's like, when is the next shoe going to drop, right? You're just expecting it now, right? And you feel as if, at times, even if it's just for a moment, has God removed His hand from me? Has, has, is God just letting me kind of doggy paddle out in the middle of this great ocean out here? Or does God really care about my troubles? I uh, was talking to a friend at work, and we were discussing uh, this individual, one, one of their friends, and they were greatly annoyed by this friend because the friend was praying that the Lord would uh, give them something, would, would, would allow them to obtain something that seemed very trivial in the grand scheme of things, right? And they were praying and that, that, that God would, would give them this, right? 
And what annoyed my coworker is the fact that her that her friend would 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 bug God with trivial details, and that that God should not be bothered with those details, that he doesn't care about those details, and that he's got too much on his plate to deal with your trivial details. Not only does God care about trivial details, what we see as trivial details, but God is in the details, in every single thing. He is there. And so oftentimes when we kind of come into these seasons, we have these moments of, of, uh, of doubt, if you will. But there are also times, seasons in life, where we believe that God is not moving fast enough. We always hear that, you know, God's timing is perfect, right? But there are times in life, and, I, and I'm sure that you've been there, where you feel as if God is not moving fast enough and we get impatient and what we try to do is we try to get ahead of God or we try to kind of prod God to go forward, right? So now I don't know if you've ever dealt with cattle uh, before and I've dealt with it just a a bare minimum, uh, usually because a cow has gotten loose in my yard, right? And so I got to get this cow to, to go and cows are stubborn at times and so you're like, you know, my dad has gotten in a four-wheeler and tried to run them over. All right, now you can't catch a cow, but he has tried to run them over in the four-wheeler, just prodding them along. Right? Well, sometimes I feel like that's us trying to prod God along because He's just not moving fast enough, or not new, moving necessarily in the direction that we want. And what I would say is, be very careful. We should be very careful on trying to get ahead of God. We should be very careful. And that's where we are this morning, is that Joshua is getting ready to lead his people across the Jordan. Now, the Jordan is not a massive river. It's really not. The banks would flood during a particular time of the year, but the Jordan was not like this massive river, if you will, wide. But it was a crucial river. It was a crucial river for the area for agriculture, and for a variety of reasons. But the more important part of this story is that God was ever-present with them as they were crossing this boundary from what they knew into something new where the Lord was giving them. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray, and I'd like to go, go into the Lord's Word and move through chapter 3 and 4 and reveal uh, what is happening here in this text and why God saw fit to put this in here. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to read it, for, to, uh, uh, to, to allow it to lead us, Lord, in greater faithfulness. And Father, as we read this, there, there are many things that we could draw from, this passage, from these passages, Father. But the one thing that I would like for us to draw this morning, Lord, that you would lead us uh, to gain, Father, is the fact that that, Lord, that you have promised to be with us and you will not leave us, you will not forsake us, and that you are going before us. You go before us in our lives when we face challenges, in success, in failure. Father, you are there, you are present, you are for us. And so, Father, I pray that we would not doubt your love for us, that we would not doubt your presence, and that we would not get anxious and impatient 
in your timing. Father, I pray that we would not grow impatient or doubt your direction. Where you are taking us right, but we want to go left. Father, let us not fail to follow you in the direction that you are leading. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Lord goes before us. The Lord goes before us. Let's read Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out for Shedem. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Now that seems like a very innocuous passage, like it's sort of just details. But if you read it very carefully, this is a, this is a pivotal moment in this point in Israel's uh, journey, if you will. So let's just break this down quickly. So Joshua, as the new leader of the Israelites, is taking his people across the Jordan into Canaan. They arrive at the Jordan River, this boundary, if you will, and they lodge right there beforehand, and they wait three days. Now, why do they wait three days? There's, uh, there are several different explanations for that. One would be just to have rest. So remember, they're not traveling by, by Greyhound. They're not traveling by American Air. They are traveling by foot, and it takes time. And so likely they had to rest. They had to lodge there. But it's also true that they were probably waiting for the Lord to give them direction. Now, Joshua was present with Moses and experienced what the Israelites experienced because of their sin. So the tail end of the wilderness journey, Moses being prevented from going into the, into the promised land, Joshua experienced this, and so he knows the reality of what happens when we get ahead of the Lord, or we disobey the Lord, or we fail to wait on the Lord's direction. That it never goes well with us when we try to, try to assume what God would want us to do, or we try to do something different or try to get ahead of the Lord. And so they're waiting there at the bank of the Jordan. And so at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded these people that as soon as they were to see the Ark of the Covenant being carried by the Levitical priests, then you should set out from your place. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, 
little ones over here, just in case you don't know. The Ark of the Covenant. Now, how many of you all have seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? You've seen all four of them. Oh, you are to be praised. All right. And so they had the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, Covenant was this, this capsule, if you will, all right, a treasure chest that came, contained important items that the Lord had given the people. And so it was inside this Ark of the Covenant. So, but it was more than just a treasure chest. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And so whereas the people were leaving, leaving Egypt, being led by a cloud and a pillar of fire, that represented the, it was the literal presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant also represented the presence of God, so much so that the people were not allowed to touch it. In fact, if you touched it, even to steady the Ark of the Covenant, you would die. And so the only individuals that were allowed to maneuver or manipulate the Ark of the Covenant, not open it, but maneuver it, were the Levitical priests. And so they were commanded to allow the Ark of the Covenant to go before the people as they go towards the Jordan. And so the officers commanded the people, they say, when you see the Ark of the Covenant being carried by the Levitical priests, follow it. Now's the time to move because the Lord is leading us across this Jordan. And there's a curious statement here. It says, Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's a little over a half a mile. That's what that is. So they were to keep that Ark of the Covenant in sight, but at a great distance away, all right? Because they needed to keep their eyes on it so that because it was leading them. They were not to go to the left or the right. They were supposed to follow it verbatim, follow its very footsteps, because this was not a place, this was unknown territory. It says, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then it says here, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua knows what is getting ready to happen here. He knows that the Lord is going to do something in order to allow his people to pass through this river Jordan. Now, it is very likely that the people could have found a spot in the river where they could have passed without any sort of miraculous uh, undertaking, if you will. But remember what's going on here is that the Lord is demonstrating that they are his people, that he is leading them, and that they will not find success unless they follow their God. And this is going to be a trend throughout the rest of the scriptures, is that if you follow the Lord, things will go well with you. If you fail to follow the Lord, you will perish. And that is, the, I mean, that is almost the theme of the entire Old Testament and the New Testament, that we must follow the Lord. And so he says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord goes before us. The Lord still goes before us 
even today, we see in the New Testament that Christ led his disciples. We see that he led his disciples, and sometimes the disciples were very curious about what was happening. Sometimes they questioned Christ. Do you know what you're doing? Have you gone nuts? But what we see is that God's providential plan through Christ was right on the mark. Because the Lord always goes before us. The second point here is that the Lord will make a way. So let's jump down to verse 11 here. It says here, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of their feet, when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Now there's a, there's a few things that are happening here. The first is this. It says, Therefore take twelve men from the tribes of the Israel, from each tribe a man. That is a curious statement. Why is it that the Lord directs them to choose a man from each tribe? Why didn't he just pick 12 guys he could trust? It's all about painting this picture. It's all about painting the picture that there are 12 tribes that have been called out. Remember, those 12 tribes are rep, uh, represent a child that was born, right? Every one of those, Dan, the Reubenites, all of them represent a child that was born and they were a child of the promise. Remember, they come from they come from loins that were barren. They were barren. There were not supposed to be any children. And so Abraham and Sarah eventually have progeny because of the Lord. And it goes on from that. And so these children are children of the promise, and they represent the tribes of Israel. And so they are to pick one person from each one of these tribes, saying, These are my people. Take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters shall be cut off. The Lord makes a way. The Lord is making a way. Now, this should remind us very quickly of the Exodus. Now, that was 40 years prior. They spent a long time in the wilderness. So a lot of the individuals that are crossing the Jordan, they would not have recognized that. In fact, none of them would have. None of them would have remembered the crossing of the Red Sea. They would have heard stories told to them, but they would not have experienced that. And so here the Lord is going to make a way across the River Jordan the same way that he made a way for the Israelites out of Egypt by splitting the Red Sea. And so it says, as soon as those feet step in to the river, as soon as the Lord's presence enters the River Jordan, that water is going to be halted and you're going to be able to walk across on dry land. This is very similar language that's used in the Red Sea. 
or in the, in the Exodus. Now, what's the point here? When the Lord calls us to either do something or go somewhere, number one, He is going before you. He's not going to call you to go somewhere and let you go on your own. He is calling you to go somewhere where He has already gone. And He is going to be with you, and He is going to be present with you, leading and guiding you. Because, folks, you cannot do this on your own. When Jesus gives the Great Commission at the end of Matthew to those disciples, remember, He promises that He will not leave them nor forsake them as they go on this mission. Why is that? Number one... Because they were likely very fearful. They were getting ready to go into unknown territory, bring in an unknown gospel to unknown people, and they knew that they were going to be challenged, maligned, persecuted, and killed. So they were terrified, likely. And so Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. I am with you. I'm going with you. So it's to, number one, give them courage. But number two... They are not going to be able to fulfill their mission if He doesn't go with them. You can share the gospel with somebody until they are blue in the face. And it does not matter how eloquently you share it. It does not matter how great your arguments are. That person is not going to come to salvation unless the Lord is in that. They're not. So the first thing is, the Lord is with them, but the second is that if the Lord calls you to something or somewhere, not only is He with you, but He's going to make a way. The Lord had called them to go to the promised land. He led them, and then He made a way for them to succeed. And so while the River Jordan is not this massive monstrosity of a river necessarily that they could have likely crossed in another location, the point is, is that the Lord is with them and He is making a way for them to cross. It says, And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. This would have been a miracle in the likes of the Red Sea, the splitting of the Red Sea. And so as soon as this happens, they are reminded, the people are reminded by this sign, by this wondrous sign, that the Lord is with them, He is leading them, and He is making a way. So as they cross that river, they can be assured that they will find success as long as they follow the Lord and not get ahead of Him. You know, there are... There are times when we believe that the Lord is calling us to something. And there are times when we believe that the Lord is with us. But at the same time, we doubt that He's going to make a way for us. And part of that is our impatience. And when I was reading this, I couldn't help but think about 
our location here at this spot is that, you know, we, we went from Camp Pleasant Baptist Church and became a new church, Gospel Life Community Church, about four years now. And about two years ago, we decided that we felt that the Lord was leading us to move from this location to a new location where we could plant this congregation in a new location and be able to worship and to spread the gospel and to do what the Lord has called us. And I know that it has been a frustrating time. As soon as we make this plan and sign a contract with a realtor, what happens? COVID hits. You know, the whole earth seems to be falling apart because of a pandemic. And nobody is worried about going and buying new property during a pandemic. We learned that, by the way. What did we learn out of, out of the pandemic? Nobody's buying stuff in a pandemic. All right? So here we sit. And then time goes, time goes, time goes. And we get impatient. It's easy to get impatient during this. And oftentimes, I know that I've had conversations with some of you, but like, well, what if we do this? Well, what if we do this? You know, nobody, you know what, what if we do this to kind of manipulate it to make, you know, to make somebody buy it? Or what if we just go ahead and then you know, somebody will buy it afterwards? And the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm like, my goodness. Why don't we just wait and see what the Lord's going to do? Let's just be patient. Because no matter what we could contrive in this situation, it will not compare to what the Lord is doing on our behalf. Because I guarantee you, if the Israelites said, you know what, we're not going to wait on the ark, anxious, we want to get up ahead. We want to see what we're excited about, this land flowing in with milk and honey. So we want to get up ahead of the Ark of the Covenant. We want to be the first people to see what's out there. There's a place over here that we can cross. We don't need the waters to part. We can cross right here. It's, it's, it's a narrow spot. We can go right across. And we'll get up ahead and we'll see. They might have crossed... They might have had an army waiting on the other side to slaughter them. They might have had numerous things to block their way. They might have seen tons of failure at that time because they got ahead of the Lord. We need to be patient in everything that we do and just wait. I've mentioned this before, I believe, in a sermon. It's been a little while. There's a song by... Uh, a, a woman named Jill Phillips. And in that song, she has a line that refers to God's timing. And what she says in there is she says basically, and I'm going to summarize, is that God's timing is absolutely perfect. And she says something to the effect of this, is that if God moved too soon, then it basically wouldn't be God's timing. And if God waited too long, it would be more than we could bear. 
But what God has planned for us is exactly what we need. And that might be in our very personal life, too. There are things, I guarantee you, that are probably something that maybe we don't even know. And that you are waiting and you are praying that God would move in your life. And you want it to happen right now. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's an illness. Whatever it might be. And you're praying that God would resolve this issue as soon as possible. So that you can either reconcile with someone or you can pay a bill or you can do whatever. And you want it to happen right now. And you're praying for that. And you just wish that God would move right now. And what I'm pleading with you is just to wait. And just to trust that the Lord's plan is perfect. It may not be exactly how you would design it, but it is perfect nonetheless. Here's a silly analogy to describe that. Crystal and I need a roof built on the back of our porch. On our back deck, we need a roof built. And it is taking us forever to get a licensed contractor to come out and design the roof and to build it. And I'm a very impatient person. I want to get it built so that water doesn't hit our back door, so that we can go out and use the deck even when the sun's out, all those sorts of things. And so I have this bright idea that I'm going to build that roof. I'm going to build it because I'm impatient. Now, I'm refraining because now every time I go out into our yard, I see a swing set that I built for my kids. Now, mind you, that swing set is still standing, but it is crooked. It's leaning like this. And every time one of my kids gets on that swing set, I fear that the whole thing's going to collapse. And oh my goodness, my dad got on one of the swings the other day and started swinging. And he said, look at me, Jackson, Wee! And I turn around and dad is like all the way up and his feet are up in the air on that swing. I thought, I'm going to be responsible for the death of my father. That whole swing set's going to come down on him. Now, why am I making this analogy? My impatience makes me want to go ahead and build that roof on that back deck, even though I am not the person to build that that roof. But if I wait on the person who is meant to build that roof, then it will be fine. It'll work. It won't fall on my family while we're eating dinner. There won't be leaks. All that kind of stuff, right? We just need to be patient and wait on the Lord because His ways and His timing is perfect. And while we wait, we worship. What do, you do? What do I do while I'm waiting on the Lord? Just worship. Pray. Read His Word. Be thankful that He's present. And finally, remember... We're going to jump to chapter 4. We remember. One of the reasons why I believe that the Lord is having them follow the ark into the Jordan and splitting that river is so that it will cause the children to remember 
what they did with the what the Lord did in the Red Sea. And as they cross the Jordan, the Lord has asked them to do something else to help their children remember that the Lord brought them across the Jordan into the land of Canaan. Let's read verses 21 through 24. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The Lord drying up the river to allow the people to cross dry land on dry land is not just a symbolic moment for the Israelites to have courage as they cross forward and to have confidence in the Lord. It is also to strike fear in the people that they are going to meet on the other side of that river because they know that Yahweh is the God of the heavens and the earth and He dried up the Jordan so that His people could cross and they could take over this land flowing with milk and honey. Who can stand against the people of God whose God can dry up a river, who can divide a sea. And that's exactly what Rahab says to the spies. We know what your God can do. I am not going to stand in the way of the people of Israel, not because the people of Israel are special, but because your God is. Some people will say about Christians, what makes you Christians think you're so special? And my comment is, we're not. There's nothing special about a Christian. There is something special about Jesus, though. There's something special about Jesus. There's nothing special about these Israelites. They are excised from Egypt and immediately build a golden calf. Right? Immediately. There's nothing special about them. But there is something terribly special about Yahweh. And God wants the children of their children to remember what He has done. And so if you remember this story, God has them select 12 stones representing 12 tribes, the people of Israel. And they are going to erect these 12 stones in a place so that whenever the people pass those 12 stones, they will remember what the Lord has done for them. They are not to worship the stones. They are not to celebrate the stones. But when they see those stones, it shall cause them to remember that God goes before them, that God has made a way for them, and that God will never leave them nor forsake them. Now, do we as Christians have 12 stones, something like 12 stones, to remember what the Lord has done? And my answer is yes, we do. We have two things. Number one, we have a baptism. Every time a new Christian is baptized into the waters. 
we remember that Christ was buried and was risen first. It's a symbolic ordinance that allows us to remember that Christ went before us in death and was raised to new life. And if He is our God, then we too will be raised to new life. And number two, we have the Lord's Supper. Every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, we remember. We remember that the blood of Christ and that the body of Christ, that they were broken, that they were poured out for our sin. And we remember. We remember that were it not for Christ, we would be nothing, nothing at all. There's a song I was singing right before the service this morning while people were kind of coming in. It's called, um, it's called I Am Nothing, I believe is the name of the song. It's a pretty ominous title for a song, right? But it basically says, it's by Bebo Norman, and it's a song that basically says that, you know, take these hands, take my body, Take my life and use it for your glory because I am nothing without you. I'm nothing. And we should remember that. Anytime that we get all puffed up and believe that we're something, remember if we're not for Christ, we'd be absolutely nothing. But we do have Christ. We do have Christ, and Christ has gone before us, and Christ has made a way for us through the cross. And he's asked us to follow him and to bear that cross. Will we do that? Will we do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth that you are ever present you are faithful you lead us and you guide us Lord continue to do that continue to lead us continue to guide us and help us to see that Christ has gone before us that he has made a way for our salvation to be reconciled back to the Father and help us to be faithful Lord if there is there are individuals in here who have not trusted Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would, that their hearts would be softened and that they would turn their hearts to the Lord. If there are those of us who have been complacent, unwilling to live in obedience, Father, I pray that you would convict us and that we would repent and follow you. Help us to remember, Lord, that you are faithful. And that you are for us, not against us. Father, we pray that you would lead us to the cross. That we might remember and or find our salvation. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.